message of Christianity. If someone asked you, what is Christianity all about? What is the Christian faith about? You could say the gospel. That's kind of the central idea. Um, but if I were to ask you to come up here one at a time and define the gospel or explain the gospel, we'd probably feel a little uneasy about that. We'd probably feel a little uncomfortable and we'd probably be a little bit nervous. We'd struggle to find the right words and put parameters around it and really define it. Now, you shouldn't feel bad about that. I mean, for a lot of our church, who aren't here today, but a lot of them, they're just exploring Christianity for the first time, and they're coming from unchurched backgrounds, and they don't know how to put all those words together, and so you shouldn't feel bad about that. Maybe you're just exploring it. Maybe you're not even sure there is a God, and so you're like, I don't know if I can put the gospel together. That's okay. I think even people who have spent a lot of time in church struggle to find the words to define or explain the gospel. A few years ago, there was a group of young people and um, staff members from churches across the nation that came to Philadelphia to work with some um, government housing projects and the Salvation Army and do some work around the city in the name of Jesus. And so I was asked to come in and give these young people and these church staff members an explanation of Philadelphia. What's it like? What have I learned since I've moved up here from Tennessee? And so I had a couple hundred students and staff members from churches who had spent their whole life in church. They knew about God. They knew about the Bible. And I started out with this question. I said, what is the gospel? Because I said, if you're going to go out in Philadelphia in the name of Jesus and do good things, do you know what the gospel is? And uh, so some students came up, some staff members, people who had gone to seminary came up, and, and they said some things, and I was like, that's not the gospel. And so don't feel bad if you have a hard time putting parameters around it, because even people who have been in church for a long time have trouble. Some of the things they said were, they came up and they said, the Ten Commandments. I'm like, that's, that's not the gospel. I was like, the, the Ten Commandments, ten rules that nobody can keep, I'm like, that's not very good news. And then one person came up and said, accept, believe, and confess. So accept and believe and confess what? Like, what are we talking about? Um, one person came up and they said, be nice to people. I'm like, it's good to be nice to people, but that's, that's not the gospel. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to explore through the book of Mark. And we're going to talk about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't. We're going to give you some parameters to define it, to explain it. I want to make it so familiar to you that you can casually weave it into everyday conversation without having to fall back on some kind of pre-planned or premeditated statement. I want it to naturally permeate the way that you live and the way that I live. The word gospel literally means good news. So we know that it has to start with good news. It's good news that's all about gospel. Uh, it's all about Jesus. And the good news is about Jesus. And so all good news is not the gospel, but good news about Jesus is the gospel. So, for instance, when you get a raise, that's good news, but that's not gospel. Right? When you win the lottery, good news, but not gospel. What we really want to know is, what about Jesus is good news? Now, churches tend to say this. This is what I hear most. As my family didn't start out in church, but then my mom started attending church and bringing my sister and I along, and eventually my dad started coming, we started hearing this. Good news, you're going to hell. That's kind of what churches told us. They were like, good news, you're going to hell, but you could go to heaven because of Jesus. It was like kind of this caveat or this secondary thought that the good news was you're going to hell, but you could go to heaven. Now, I don't know about you, that doesn't really sound like good news to me. 
Like, does good mean something different to religious people? That's what I kept thinking to myself. Like, are they somehow missing this? Like, what do they mean by this? You've probably had someone in a church service or maybe out on the street or a well-meaning friend say, hey, you're going to hell. And you're like, that does not feel like good news to me. They don't seem to think, they don't seem to understand what that uh, what they're telling us doesn't sound like good news. It's kind of like if someone said to you, good news, you have cancer, but there's chemo. Get excited. You know, like, you're like, wait a minute. How, how does all this work out? And honestly, I don't think we should be mad at our friend or our minister who pitched the good news of Jesus to us like this. Because ultimately, I don't think they're to be blamed. Because this is what we're taught. Like, good news means heaven, not hell. And you're going to hell, but you could go to heaven. And I don't think we've often stopped to think, does that actually sound like good news? Or does that sound like a... You're in a really bad news situation, but you can get out of it. Now, Jesus talked about heaven and hell. I'm not saying that he didn't. And he talked about how you won't spend eternity with a stranger. If you don't know Jesus, he's not going to force you to live forever with somebody you don't know. Have you ever been in a situation with a stranger and you just feel uncomfortable? Like you walk into a church and there's nobody else there and you're like, this is really uncomfortable? Um, it's weird to be around a stranger, right? And to be in a close space, can you imagine having to live with a stranger forever? Jesus says, if you don't know me, I'm not going to force you to live with me forever. But if you do know me, you're going to get to live with me forever and ever and ever and get to know me even better. I thought I knew my wife, Darby, when we got married. I'm almost six years in now, and uh, I'm just beginning to learn some things about her. I'm just beginning to find out she went some places and did some things and had some experiences that I had no idea about. I'm starting to know little details about her that I didn't know before. And that's the same thing that will happen with Jesus. But most of the time when Jesus talks about the good news, and we're going to see this in the book of Mark as we work through it, he doesn't mention heaven or hell. See, I think we have a tendency to put emphasis on the wrong part of the gospel. We emphasize the wrong part of the good news. Now, if I ask you to explain Star Wars to me, you might say lightsaber. And you wouldn't be wrong, but you wouldn't be fully right, right? There's more to it than just lightsabers. Lightsabers takes up a really big part, but we put an emphasis on an incomplete idea, and so we don't get the full picture. Or God forbid you say Jar Jar Binks, and at that point I'm like, you're completely wrong and you need to get out. Um, I was in, my undergrad's in English, and so I spent a lot of time learning about writing and how words and sentences work. And one of the things we learned about was syntax, sentence syntax. By the way you arrange a sentence or you structure a sentence, you can emphasize different parts. I know everybody was super bored because I just started talking about grammar in English and uh, I'm a word nerd. But by emphasizing different parts of a sentence, by arranging it a different way, you could make different parts of the sentence important. The first part, the middle, or the end. And so by arranging your sentences, even though most of us don't realize this, we're saying part of the sentence is more important than the other part. And so I think that sometimes when we write a sentence, we use bad syntax, and so we're emphasizing a part we don't mean to. But I think this also happens in our theology. <clears throat> I think many times our gospel syntax is wrong, because Jesus didn't put the emphasis on the next life, he put the emphasis on this life. He didn't say, hey, guess what? Someday when you die, the gospel is going to matter. He says the gospel matters right now. 
It isn't something that becomes good news when we die. It's something that's good news now, but it's incomplete good news. There's good news now, but there's even better news later. You don't get to experience all the goodness right now, but there is goodness to experience right now. So the gospel is the central message of Christianity, but if we emphasize the wrong part of the gospel, everything else about our Christianity begins to spin just slightly off-center. Everything in our Christian lives and our Christian churches begins to be just a little bit off if we emphasize the wrong part of the gospel. And you've probably seen Christians or you've seen churches and you thought, how can they say they love Jesus or they're a follower of Jesus and yet they say that or they do that or they support that? Like, how does that make sense? When you're just slightly off on the gospel, everything else just happens to be slightly off. Having the wrong center makes everything else be slightly off. Now, the way we usually talk about the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is like this. Good news, 50 years from now, you're going to win the lottery. And you're like, that's great. I'm excited about that. But I have bills to pay today. So am I supposed to starve and then wait these 50 years? It's kind of like, someday you're going to die and you'll go to heaven. And you're like, that's great, but my life is hell right now. Like, does the gospel have anything that applies to today? See, we often talk about the gospel like it's not good news, but a good prediction. It's like when a news agency calls the election in favor of your politician long before all the votes are counted. You hope it's true, but it's not a present reality until all the votes come in. And that's how we usually talk about the gospel. We're like, I hope we'll go to heaven one day, but there's nothing in the present for me to show for that. It's just something that's in the future. But the gospel has both present realities and future implications. And our tendency is to just talk about the future implications and not deal with the present realities. I like what Dallas Willard said. He said, Jesus didn't die to get you into heaven. He died to get heaven into you right now, today. The gospel applies today. So in this study, we're going to look at the book of Mark. And at times... It mentions the gospel, and at times it mentions the good news, and we're going to look at those over the next few weeks. And we're going to see, what did Jesus say about the gospel? What did he teach about the gospel? How did he define it? How did he explain it? And we're going to start out right in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. We're just going to stick with that one verse for today, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. See, the gospel doesn't start when you die. It doesn't start being good when you die. The gospel started when Jesus came. The good news started with Jesus. It says the beginning of the good news about Jesus. When he came is when the good news started. The good news is available because of Jesus, and the good news is all about Jesus. So I started thinking about this. Why is Jesus good news? Why does the existence of Jesus in our world mean good news for us? Well, I think there's three things, and we'll unpack some of these over the studies over the next few weeks. But first of all, it tells us something about God. It tells us that God is good, God is not evil. It tells us God is kind and not cruel. It tells us that God is like Jesus. If someone describes to you a God that doesn't look and act and sound like Jesus, they're describing an idol, a false idea of God. In John 14, 9, Jesus says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Look at the way that Jesus lived. Look at the way that he treated people. Look at the way he loved people. That's how God feels about us. 
So it's good news because it tells us, hey, God's not sitting up in heaven with a big club that he's drove some nails through, just waiting for you to mess up so he can club you with it. Instead, God looks like Jesus. God acts like Jesus because Jesus is God. Number two, I think Jesus is good news because it means we aren't left to suffer. Have you ever looked around at the world and you're like, this world is garbage. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. Um, there's human trafficking, there's drug abuse, there's poverty, there's war, there's disease. This world is a mess. But notice in verse 1 here it says, Jesus is the Son of God. Like we said, he represents God to us. But he's also Jesus the Messiah. That means Savior, Rescuer. This person that God, all ever since the beginning, started promising that he would send someone to restore the relationship between God and man and to set things right. God hasn't abandoned us. God's on a rescue mission to save us. When you look around, you say, wow, this world is messed up. Where's God at? Jesus coming to earth proves that God hasn't given up on us, but that he is wanting to effect change in our world. In John 3, 17, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. God didn't come to say, Wow, you guys really messed up. Sucks to be you. Bye. And just leave us all to suffer. He says, Oh no, I'm, I'm putting into place a plan to save and number three, I think that Jesus is good news because it means there's a better way to live life. I don't know about you. Have you ever woken up, your alarm clock goes off, you slap it, you go into work, you come home, watch some TV, go to sleep, hit your alarm clock, go to work, come home. Good. And you, you're like, what is this? Like you're just in this monotony, like life just one day after another. Maybe it's a blur. And you're like... What is the point of life? Why am I here? Does any of this matter? You know, sometimes I'm like, is this the matrix? Like, how do I know any of this is real? There's a better, more meaningful way to live. We can live in the presence of God's love by living and loving like Jesus. One of Jesus' last commands on earth, he says, Hey guys, you've been following me around. You've learned how I live and love. I want you to go everywhere and teach people to become students of the way that I live love that's the best life that they can live that's a life that's going to transform this world in john 10 10 jesus says i have come so that you may have life and you may have abundant life by following the example of jesus we can have the most meaningful purposeful life these are three reasons why i think jesus was coming was good news so how do we know if we've talked to somebody if we've actually shared the good news with them like, how do we know if we've had just a conversation or if we've actually imparted to them the good news of Jesus Christ? For instance, you can get into an elevator with somebody and you can say, Hey, good morning. Crazy weather we're having. That's not sharing the gospel. That's having a conversation. But that's not the gospel. Somebody can sneeze and you can say, God bless you. And that's polite, but that's not sharing the gospel. You can say, come to my church. People aren't saying that. But they could say that if they said that. Um, and well, thank you for inviting people. That isn't the good news of Jesus. So I think there's three elements that we need to include if we're going to be sharing the good news of Jesus. And we're going to flesh these out, these ideas, over the series. But I think there's three elements when we're talking about the good news of Jesus Christ that we need to include when we talk to people. And the first one is grace. Grace essentially says you don't earn the good that you get. But God freely gives good because he's good, not because you're good. See, religion says, if you get good enough, God will be good to you. But what Jesus says is, I'm good, and so I'm going to be good to you, and that's going to transform you and make you good. 
I'm going to love you despite who you are, right where you are, and that's going to change you. Instead of saying, you change, and then I'll love you. Praise. And then the second element is Jesus. You can't share the gospel of Jesus if you haven't mentioned Jesus. Without Jesus, there would be no good news. His life and death and resurrection are the reason we can live in God's love. And then the third element is relationships. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is really about relationship. Our relationship between God and man, and our relationship with other people, and how our relationships are broken because of sin. Since such a Bible word, no one says this. You know, when somebody cuts you off on the highway, you're not like, they sinned against me. You know, nobody says that. What do we mean by sin? It's the selfish, self-destructive tendencies that all of us have to do something that's good for us while hurting other people or hurting our and sin breaks relationships, and the gospel restores relationships. So, if you've been around church at all, you've probably heard someone say, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Sometimes this is accredited to different saints or different theologians. We're not sure quite where it came from, but the gospel does require words. Just like math requires numbers, the gospel requires words. You can do kind things for people all day, but if you never mention Jesus, it's not the gospel. The gospel requires words, but it also requires more than words. You've probably seen this baby somebody standing on a street corner, they've got a bullhorn, and they're just shouting, Jesus! You know, they're just screaming out religious things, and probably some of them are true, but they're not engaging with anybody, right? They haven't built trust with anybody. They're just shouting it out, and people are like, what is with this guy? People don't just want to hear that the gospel is good news. They want to see that it is good news. You probably know somebody who uses a lot of religious words but treats people like garbage. They say they believe the gospel, but they violate one of the core principles of the gospel, relationships. They don't treat people like Jesus did. They don't love people like Jesus did. See, the good news of Jesus advances into the life of hurting people when we share it and when we live it. See, living it builds trust so that people actually allow us to share it. If you try sharing the good news of Jesus without building trust first, it won't go anywhere. So you have to use words, but you also have to build trust. So we do that by living the gospel as well as sharing the gospel. So how do you live the gospel? What does that look like? I think that we take the three elements of the gospel that I talked about before, grace, Jesus, and relationships, and we apply it to our lives. So what would it look like to show grace in our lives? That means we give people good when they deserve bad. You know, when somebody does something and you're like, I have every right to yell back at them, to hurt them back, to make them feel what I've felt. Instead, you show them grace. You give good instead of bad. You live and love like Jesus. Be by becoming a student of the way that Jesus lived and loved, people will become curious, which will create questions, which will allow you to share the gospel. And finally, relationships. Treat people like they have value, that they're not projects, they're not resources to meet your needs. Love people sacrificially, and you know what will happen? They'll actually be interested in what you have to say about Jesus. And too often, churches are quick to say, let me tell you about Jesus, let me tell you about heaven and hell, and they haven't established any trust by showing that they sacrificially love people. If we live the gospel, it'll create opportunities to share the gospel. The only hope for our world is not politics, it's not money, it's not science. The only hope for our world is for your life and my life 
to reflect the good news of Jesus Christ, to be transformed by the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this challenge to me to really just put parameters around what is the gospel, what its core elements. What do I need to share with people? What do I need to say to people? What do I need to live to reflect you? God, I pray that we will faithfully live out grace and living and loving like you and valuing people in relationships. God, I pray that you will transform our church and our community and our city and our world through the power of your good news. Thank you so much for loving us and allowing us to live in your love.